And we turn now to Isaiah chapter 5, and you'll notice the shift in gears here for Isaiah as we see and learn about this vineyard. I'll read Isaiah chapter 5, verses 1 through 12. Let me sing for my beloved my love song concerning his vineyard. My beloved had a vineyard on a very fertile hill. He dug it and cleared it of stones and planted it with choice vines. He built a watchtower in the midst of it and hewed out a wine vat in it. And he looked for it to yield grapes, but it yielded wild grapes. And now, O inhabitants of Jerusalem and men of Judah, judge between me and my vineyard. What more was there to do for my vineyard that I have not done in it? When I looked for it to yield grapes... Why did it yield wild grapes? And now I will tell you what I will do to my vineyard. I will remove its hedge and it shall be devoured. I will break down its wall and it shall be trampled down. I will make it a waste. It shall not be pruned or hoed and briars and thorns shall grow up. I will also command the clouds that they rain no rain upon it for the vineyard. Of the Lord of hosts is the house of Israel, and the men of Judah are his pleasant planting. And he looked for justice, but behold, bloodshed for righteousness, but behold, an outcry. Woe to those who join house to house, who add field to field until there is no more room, and you are made to dwell alone in the midst of the land. The Lord of hosts has sworn in my hearing, surely many houses shall be desolate, large and beautiful houses without inhabitant. For ten acres of vineyard shall yield but one bath, and a homer of seed shall yield but an ephah. Woe to those who rise early in the morning that they may run after strong drink, who tarry late into the evening as wine inflames them. They have lyre and harp, tambourine and flute and wine at their feasts, but they do not regard the deeds of the Lord or see the work of his hands. Let's pray together. Lord, we ask that as we look at this text, we would receive the divine wisdom that you have for us. You would guide and lead us in our lives, that we would give you glory So help us now, we pray, and would your spirit guide us, and we thank you for your word which is living and active, in Christ's name, amen. You may be seated. My dad was from Syria, and one time he went back to the old country, and I remember as a kid growing up, he was unpacking his suitcase on his bed, and he carefully unpacked these sticks that were about two feet long, wrapped in wet paper towels with a plastic bag over the end of them. And I asked my dad what these were, and these were treasured cuttings from the fig trees of his family's property there in Syria. Yes, he probably violated every import (laughs) law that there was, but at the time, he treasured these fig trees, and you could not get this kind of variety of fig trees here in America. So he had imported them, and he planted them. I remember he planted them in the side yard of the house, and he just basically took the twig and he stuck it in the ground, mounted dirt over it, nurtured these figs, and cultivated them until they eventually became just this massive forest of figs 
so important to him, so valuable to the to him, so reminding him of the sweet fruit of where he came from that he wrote into the contract when the house was sold that he could come back and he could take cuttings to plant more fig trees. And I tell you that story really to enter into this idea of the divine cultivation because what happens here and what's noted for us here is God Almighty has a vineyard. And this vineyard we're told about, look in verse 7, the vineyard of the Lord of hosts, we're told what it is. It's the house of Israel. So by analogy, a point is made here of the divine nurturing of the, this vineyard. So the vineyard of the Lord of hosts is the house of Israel. And notice here, verse 7, the men of Judah are his pleasant planting. And so God is well pleased with his nation. They're a pleasant planting before him. But here's the tragedy in the second half of verse 7. He looked for justice, but what did he find? Bloodshed for righteousness. He didn't find that. He found an outcry. And so that's the tragedy. And this idea of scripturally using an analogy of a vineyard or a plant, that's something that's frequent and common in the scripture. In fact, if you put your finger there in Isaiah 5, go to Psalm 80. Psalm 80, we get this analogy repeated for us. Psalm 80, beginning in verse 8, addressing Israel here, you brought a vine out of Egypt. So God delivered Israel out of Egypt. So you brought a vine out of Egypt. You drove out the nations and planted it. Psalm 80, verse 9, you cleared the ground for it. It took deep root and filled the land. The mountains were covered with its shade. The mighty cedars with its branches. It sent out its branches in the sea and its shoots to the river. So this idea that God has taken Israel and transplanted them through the redemption and deliverance from Egypt and placed them carefully in the land that they inhabit. This shows the divine care and providence and administration of God for his nation. But, but there's a problem. And that's back to Isaiah chapter 5, verse 7. He looked for justice, but behold, bloodshed for righteousness, but behold, an outcry. Israel is willful. They are unwilling to follow the ways of God. They do not regard the Lord's cultivation. They do not regard His ways. In fact, they chafe at His ways. They have rebelliousness in their heart, and we see how that works out in this passage here. So the divine vineyard is an example and an analogy here in Isaiah 5, and through it we're going to see two things, the divine cultivation and the divine judgment. First, the divine cultivation, just like my dad had this tremendous care for these figs that he imported. So God has this divine, wonderful, providential care for his people. And so Isaiah speaking here, Verse 1, he is celebrating this vineyard, singing about it. My beloved had a vineyard on a very fertile hill. And let's not miss the points of verse 1 here. The vineyard belongs to God. 
and he places it carefully by his sovereign and providential will. He places the vineyard in just the right place, a fertile hill, so that it can grow and prosper. So what did God do? In this divine cultivation, verse 2, he dug it, cleared it of stones. Maybe you've had this experience because, you know, the only good thing that grows around Bernie, Texas, and in the Texas Hill Country is rocks. We have an unlimited supply of rocks. So he had to clear it of stones, perhaps emblematic of him clearing out the nations before Israel in the conquest recorded for us in Joshua. He planted it with choice vines. Verse 2, built a watchtower. And the watchtower would be a permanent structure in order to watch out for unauthorized harvesting of the grapes to guard the vineyard. And then verse 2, hewed out a wine vat in it. So imagine the trouble of digging out, the effort of digging out into the rock a wine vat that could hold the wine and the harvest so that it, the wine could ferment. And he looked for it. Here's the expectation. He looked for it to yield grapes. And what did it yield? Wild grapes. In other words, this is Scripture's way of saying that the yield of wild grapes is exactly what would have happened had there been no effort into the harvest. But what do we have instead? We have the divine cultivation. We have special selection of the location on a very fertile hill. He dug it. He cleared it. He planted it. Choice vines. And then God did something that perhaps we wouldn't do. Wouldn't you wait to see what the harvest was like? Wouldn't you wait and maybe build the permanent structures of the vineyard? Because a vineyard is more than just the vines. Wouldn't you wait if you were in charge? I certainly would. I would wait to see what the vines produce. But God doesn't do that. He invests. He builds the permanent structure of a watchtower in the wine vat. But then the yield is not what it was meant to be. The yield is wild grapes. All this cultivation effort does not yield what it should. Things are not the way they're supposed to be. And so, what happens here? After all this divine effort and cultivation, God says, O inhabitants of Jerusalem, verse 3, men of Judah, judge between me and my vineyard. And then verse 4, perhaps the most tragic verse of this passage, what more was there to do for my vineyard that I have not done in it. God putting forth the supreme and ultimate costly effort here. There is nothing else for the vine, divine vine dresser to do. He has done all things well, and yet, because of the pervasiveness of the sinful nature and the pervasiveness of sin, we see it yields wild grapes. Tracy and I, we purchased a home here in Bernie one time, one of the houses that we've lived in, 
and they left a raised bed in the backyard, and I certainly appreciated that because I guess they weren't planning to move necessarily because the raised bed had tomato plants already started in it. And so we, when we purchased that home in the spring, we had a jump start on the tomato plants, and so, you know, we put our dog in the backyard and everything, and I noticed I was, I was watching these plump green tomatoes just starting to turn red, and then they would disappear. And eventually, I discovered our lovely sweet dog was having a snack. And so all the trouble we had gone to cultivation, now we didn't plant the tomatoes, those were already given to us, but all the watering, all the fertilizing was going to the dog. And so, of course, what did I do? I put up some chicken wire to keep the dog out, and the dog, I'm sure, was very unhappy. But nonetheless, we were able to reap a harvest once that wall was set up to keep the dog out. And the reality is when we think of this divine cultivation and what's happening here, and we think about how God selected a very fertile hill, dug it, cleared it of stones, planted it, built a watchtower, hewed out a wine vat, and expected, eagerly looked for it to yield grapes. When God does not get the intended harvest from his people, we have to ask why. What's gone on here? What's wrong? And if we look back to Isaiah 1, we see several things have happened here that have allowed, as it were, the dogs to come in. Instead of bearing spiritual fruit, the fruit of the Spirit, which is articulated for us in Galatians 5, instead of bearing that kind of fruit, the fruit is devoured, it is eaten. Well, what's the problem? We've gone over several of these points here in Isaiah chapter 1. We read in the second half of verse 2, Children have I reared and brought up, but they have rebelled against me. That's similar then to the situation that's mentioned in chapter 5, verse 7. And what is the problem? There's a spiritual forgetfulness. Do you remember talking about that? Chapter 1, verse 3, the ox knows its owner, and the donkey its master's crib, but Israel does not know, my people do not understand. There's a spiritual forgetfulness, and we struggle with that spiritual forgetfulness as well. There are idols at work. Remember, much of Isaiah addresses the idolatry of the people, even the syncretism of bringing together their normal way of worship with the way and being influenced by the nations around them. And that's why God says in Isaiah chapter 1, verse 14 and 15, your new moons and your appointed feasts, my soul hates. They have become a burden to me. I am weary of bearing them. When you spread out your hands, I will hide my eyes from you. Even though you make many prayers, I will not listen. Your hands are full of blood. And then you get the invitation to repentance there that comes. And so spiritual forgetfulness is a problem. This is when you and I don't look to, don't regard what God has done. We don't give thanks. 
We struggle as well with idolatry. Remember, there's four main idols operating here in Bernie, Texas. We've talked about these. It's money, it's success, it's children, and family. The four things that take away worship and dedication from God, these four idols. There's another idol at work as well, and namely that is pride. And pride stops us from bearing fruit. Pride is an invitation for the dog to come in and eat those ripe tomatoes. And we talked about the haughtiness back to chapter 3, verse 16. The haughtiness of the daughters of Zion being emblematic of the haughtiness of the entire people. To be prideful is to put ourselves in the place of God. To advise God, even in the way that we pray, we can sometimes be in an advisory role to God, telling Him, instructing Him exactly how we want Him to behave. This is pride, and pride is pernicious because sometimes it's obvious to everyone except us. Pride is thinking more of ourselves than we should. And so spiritual forgetfulness, idolatry, and pride all invite the dogs to come in. And I think one of the things that we need to look at this passage, and if you think about it, one of the greatest existential questions ever asked is this question, am I loved? Am I loved? And certainly as we ask that question, am I loved, all sorts of consequences flow from our answer to that. And what I want you to see here in Isaiah 5 from the divine cultivation is all the effort, all the trouble God went to, all his sovereign administration of his covenant and his promises and his care for his people as the ultimate communication of his love. God then loves his people, so he places them on a fertile hill. He loves his people, so he dug it, cleared it of stones, planted it with choice vines, built a watchtower, hewed the wine vat prior to the investment made, prior to seeing what the harvest would be, all because we are loved and treasured by God. We read in John 3, 16, for God so loved the world, the cosmos. He has a disposition of being positively and lovingly disposed to his created order because he created it. Sin wrecked that. But God communicates his love for us in Christ. Absolutely and perfectly, God communicates to us in all our failings, in all of Israel's failings, in all the frustration of the wild grapes. He still communicates that he loves us. Through Christ. He has demonstrated through the branch. Look up to chapter 4, verse 2. In that day, the branch of the Lord shall be beautiful and glorious. Another agricultural metaphor here. In chapter 11, verse 1 of Isaiah, there shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse, and a branch from his roots shall bear fruit foretelling when the Messiah would come as the ultimate, conclusion, ultimate communication of the love of God. And so we ask that question. We ask that question, 
Am I loved? That's a common question in our society today. And the answer that Isaiah brings to us, on a very fertile hill, he dug it, cleared it of stones, planted it, built a watchtower, hewed out a wine vat in it. Absolutely. God loves sinners like us. And the greatest communication of his love is seen in the Savior where he perfectly loves us. So that's the divine cultivation. The divine cultivation is a divine communication of God's great love and his sovereign administrative power over all the events of your life and my life to communicate. He is with us and he loves us, especially in Christ. But because of the wild grapes, there is divine judgment given as well. And this is in the second half of the passage here. Verse 5, because of the wild grapes that are brought forth, what more was there to do? The yield of wild grapes causes, verse 5, I will tell you what I will do to my vineyard. I will remove its hedge and it shall be devoured. I will break down its wall and it shall be trampled down. The divine judgment comes in the form of this hardship where the vineyard is no longer protected. God, as it were, through trial and certainly in the nation of Israel's life, through the exile, in the hardship of the exile, breaks through their defenses and their sins. Verse 6, I will make it a waste. It shall not be pruned or hoed, and briars and thorns shall grow up. I will also command the clouds that they rain no rain upon it. So again, we get this picture of this sovereign God who is active in the life of his people. Should they yield wild grapes, should the dogs eat the fruit, he will break it down. He will break it down in order to stimulate within them repentance and dependency upon him. The divine judgment comes then in the second half of this passage, both in the breaking down of the defenses, which is a reminder that we can create whatever defenses we want to keep divine judgment out. God is still able to overcome them. And in verses 8 through 12, really in the rest of chapter 5, we get six woes pronounced. Six woes are pronounced. Two of them are the focus of this morning, in the passage this morning, we're going over the first one, this woe, in other words, this judgment, because the wild grapes have been produced, what is God going to do? He's going to break down, he's going to break through their defenses. Verse 8, a woe is pronounced, woe to those who join house to house, who add field to field until there is no more room, and you are made to dwell alone in the midst of the land. And the picture here is really for someone who is taking advantage of the poor and is able to accumulate wealth at the expense of others. Joining house to house, you have to remember in the ancient world you didn't build separate houses. You would simply, when children were married in a family, they just made an addition onto the house. But this is talking about joining together houses, creating this materialistic realm and dominion for 
the people where they would add field to field and accumulate as a way of taking advantage of the poor. Remember, we've talked previously about how do you tell whether a society is just, except that you look at how the poor are doing, how the defenseless are doing within the society. And so God pronounces a judgment against those who would take advantage of others and accumulate their own little fiefdom or kingdom. Verse 9, the Lord of hosts has sworn in my hearing, surely many houses shall become desolate, large and beautiful houses without inhabitant. So God is able sovereignly, even though people would try to accumulate apart from God an existence apart from Him, He is able to judge them and to call them back to His sustaining grace through breaking through their defenses and causing them to be desolate. Verse 9 foretells a time, of course, when we know this, standing on the other side of the cross, we have all of Isaiah to look at, when Babylon would come in and would take over and would leave Jerusalem empty. Verse 10 shows, for 10 acres of a vineyard shall yield one bath. So you can kind of imagine here if we were to use equivalent English measurements, 10 acres of grapes yielding one gallon. Uh, That's not a good harvest, is it? And neither is a homer of seed yielding but an ephah. And the idea is I might have plenty of material resources, but it is God who sovereignly brings the harvest. And then the second woe is announced here. So God is going to come against their ability to accumulate material wealth and a harvest of plenty. He's going to come against that, but he as well will come against those who try to escape through drinking or through addictions. This is in verse 11, woe to those who rise early in the morning that they may run after strong drink, who tarry late in the evening as wine inflames them. And the idea is that the wine dulls our senses, the strong drink dulls our senses to where the real problem is, it's at the end of verse 12, they do not regard the deeds of the Lord or see the work of His hands. In other words, look at the first half of verse 12, they have lyre and harp, tambourine and flute and wine at their feasts. They have accumulated every resource to give proper homage and worship to God. And yet, they do not regard the deeds of the Lord or see the work of His hands. The offense here is that they are willfully forgetting and spiritually ignoring the great things God has done in their life And here's where this interfaces with what we're going to celebrate on Thursday. Thanksgiving is a celebration of God's providence. God's providence are His mighty acts in your life and others' lives, which point to and organize all our lives towards His glory in worshiping Him. Not regarding His deeds, in other words, ignoring or forgetting all the good that He has brought to your life. Or seeing the work of His hands. In other words, looking at your life and acknowledging that if there is anything good in your life, God did that. You didn't. 
And to see the work of his hands is to discern spiritually how God has brought about a right and good result, even in a fallen world, in your life. And this is Israel's sin. They don't regard the deeds of the Lord. In other words, they do not fear him. They do not acknowledge him. They do not say that that which is good in their lives, lives come, comes from him. They do not see or discern the work of his hands. We lived in an agricultural area, real agricultural area, before we moved uh, back to Texas. And commonly in the Midwest, or in Nebraska, I got some Nebraskans there, you have pivot irrigation. And when you look down from an airplane at these, at, at flyover country, so to speak, you see the fields are shaped in circles because they're dependent on pivot irrigation. What is pivot irrigation? It's those gigantic pipes that are maybe eight feet above the field with the giant tires, and at the center is a source of water. And when those are turned on, they, they move slowly and cover the field with water as they pivot. That's why it's called pivot irrigation. It pivots across the field, and you have spray heads hanging down, or you have sprinklers on them. And something you would notice if you've lived in an agricultural area before, if there is an area of the field not receiving the water, and sometimes this is at the very edge of the field or at the edge of the pivot irrigation, if it is passed over or not getting a good water supply, it's there that the yield is not growing. It's there, the area that isn't connected to the source of water, as that pivot irrigation moves through, it's there that the harvest is lacking. It's there that the harvest lacks. And here we have this instruction that that which Israel has failed to do, God invites us through His grace and through the power of Christ that just as they have not regarded the deeds of the Lord, that you and I, not just at Thanksgiving, but every day, would remember and regard the deeds of the Lord, that we would regard that He is at work, that He is now working in and through His Spirit with His people, and that we would see, notice, pay attention to the work of His hands. This is not paying attention to... Oh, I got a prop here. Let me grab that. This is not regarding the deeds of the Lord, is it? And yet these little devices, which are, some would say, helpful in life, cause us, perhaps, to have attention span problems. And here is what we should pay attention to. That we must regard the deeds of the Lord, what God has done. What has He done? Oh, here's what He has done. He has set you in exactly the place He wants you to be, on a very fertile hill. He has provided for you. He dug it. He has cleared out the stones of your life by His grace. 
He planted that land with choice vines. He has given you relationships to prosper. He watches over us. He built a watchtower in the midst of it. He hewed out a wine vat in it, and he looked for it to yield grapes. But what's the rest of the story? Does our life yield grapes or the wild grapes? Much of that yield is dependent upon whether or not we pay attention to and regard the deeds of the Lord, that we would recount to others all that he has done, that we would invite. Ours is to recognize then his deeds and his work. This is the divine vineyard that God is working, your life, my life, the life of ancient Israel. He engages it by his grace with divine cultivation. And if and when it does not yield that which it should, he brings divine judgment. And we rejoice that that divine judgment, if you're a Christian, has fallen on Christ. And it is but ours to regard the deeds of the Lord and see the work of his hands. Let's pray together. God, how we thank you that you are at work in our life and that by your grace you have cultivated and you have judged. And we pray in our own life that you would help us today, this week, and especially as we sit down at a table later this week and celebrate, that we would celebrate your very provision and providence in our life. Help us with this that the yield of our life would be that which pleases you and gives you glory, we pray in Christ's name. Amen.